Social Impact CX, the podcast that helps you drive mission and make a difference with customer experience. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for episode 32 of the Social Impact CX podcast. I'm John Corrigan, and I'll be your guide to how you can drive mission and achieve social impact with customer experience work. Thanks for listening. As always, it is much appreciated. This episode of Social Impact CX is part two of my conversation with Sabine Harnow, and we are addressing an important subject that you don't always hear about as a first consideration in customer experience work. We're talking about the subject of cultural differences. After all, as I mentioned before in part one of my conversation with Sabine in episode 31 of Social Impact CX, how can you really gain empathy for someone you'd like to help if you've not taken into account cultural differences that are critical to understanding that person and experiences then from their perspective, whether it's your client or beneficiary or customer or patient, whomever it is that you're working to serve and trying to help, cultural differences play an important role in this work. My partner in this conversation, as I mentioned, is Sabine Harnow. Sabine is based in Amsterdam in the Netherlands and has also done extensive work in the UK as well as around the world. Sabine runs a consultancy called From Scratch Communications where she focuses on customer-centric message strategy. And at the core of her work, Sabine brings a focus to cultural differences. It has been great to connect with Sabine as a customer-centric professional based in Europe. I think her global experiences really provide some tremendous insights when considering customer experience work and and the all-important aspect of cultural differences. And while it might be easy to understand how you need to make adjustments in your work when projects span varying countries across Europe, such as the UK, Germany, France, the Netherlands, here in the United States, I'm not sure that everyone always gives appropriate consideration for the differences you find geographically, east to west, south to north, and points in between. Uh, And also, rather importantly, wherever you are, and no matter wherever you're working in the world, it's also just as important to consider differences, cultural differences, related to various different cultures, or genders, or generations that are involved with your work. At the end of the day, gaining empathy to better serve a key group of customers or beneficiaries or patients or whomever, it's many times an exercise in gaining a better understanding of cultural differences. I've had a fascinating conversation with Sabine recently, and this is part two of that discussion. Episode 31 is the first part of our conversation. We talked about, in that episode, we talked about how and why cultural differences matter for customer experience work. And here in part two of the discussion, we'll be continuing the conversation talking about how to build culturally competent CX programs, among other things. Before we get to part two with Sabine, let me check in with my moment of gratitude. Given that I'm here in the United States and Sabine is in the Netherlands, I think it's only appropriate to keep up with this global theme and go ahead and express some gratitude for uh, the team down under in Australia at Social Good Stuff. I follow Social Good Stuff on Twitter and it's a great resource for keeping up with social enterprise and social impact news and information. They do a great job of keeping tabs on social good around the world. Uh, A gentleman by the name of Jay Bulkin in Sydney, Australia, 
uh, is the driving force behind Social Good Stuff. And if you're on Twitter, I suggest that you follow Social Good Stuff. It's always great to keep up with their tweets. Um, and you can also find Social Good Stuff online at socialgoodstuff.com. So now that I've touched on three continents, uh, in this most global episode of Social Impact CX to date, let's get to part two of my conversation with Sabine Harnow about cultural differences and, co- and customer experience work. So, you know, what I think is also a really important point to make, and this happens more than you would think in, in customer experience work, is I think there's always an assumption that there's, there's a generally good knowledge of the customer or in, in the nonprofit world, we talk about um, uh, it might not be a customer purchasing a product or a service. It may be a beneficiary or a client or a yeah. patient or a student or somebody like that. But, um, you know, I think there's this uh, generalized thought that, of course, we know who we're helping. Um, but, but the thing is, is that you, you, I've never not learned something from going out and asking those questions. Um, and so, but the thing is, is that, this work is not free, typically. And so, um, you know, how does a company or organization plan for and then correctly resource, you know, uh, working towards gaining an understanding for cultural differences in, in whatever it is they're trying to do? Mm, that is a great question. I think, so you're saying it's, it's not free and most companies or most organizations have a good understanding of who they're serving. My experience is that that's often true in a general sense, like in a broad sense. But when you try to tell the stories of individual people that the, the organization is in touch with, that uh, often doesn't hold up. And um, it's easy to go back to demographics and statistics and so on, but telling the stories of the individual people is really helpful for an organization when they want to plan for the future, when they um, want to find out why certain offerings aren't working the way uh, they could or should or were hoped to to work. Um, And also... Um, when you decide do you want to you know offer this feature or that feature what do you want to start this new product it's useful to have those stories so you know actually what people are getting out of interacting with you or buying from you buying your ideas as well I mean everybody sells ideas some companies also sell uh, services or or products so I think first of all it would make sense to embed that awareness at all levels including um, not just marketing but also um, how you run your company, your organization, and what you actually want to offer um, out there. And then a lot of the information is not expensive to get um, because most teams that I've ever worked with had some sort of um, well, email inbox or social media presence, yeah. or they went to events either that events hosted themselves or events that somebody else put on. And it's just um, about having conversations where they're already happening and being very aware of what's going on, like remembering them, saving some of those um, bits that came out of the conversation where you learn about the values of the people you're interacting with and um, you learn about the situation in which they first encountered you and then what happened once they uh, once, once they were, you know, using whatever you're offering to the world. So those, those kinds of stories and that kind of, um, you know, saving emails, saving DMs, saving comments, um, that can be a great start already if you don't want to do expensive focus group sessions and that kind of stuff, which, to be honest, 
I, I don't think that's even necessary in most cases. Yeah. Um, and then one thing that I do quite a lot um, now is to start projects with um, a series of case studies, especially in the B2B space. I think there's a lot of uh, business services in the impact space, uh, often thought of as quite a drab space, but actually I was a, a judge for the business services category in the, in the um, Be The Change Awards, the first uh, run of this entirely new awards for impact businesses. And it was just amazing to see the vibrancy of that um, space. So especially in B2B, I think case studies are a great way to get that information because you go out and visit your client just as you would normally do as a regular part of your customer uh, support or you know relationship building. And then you take a lot of uh, information away from that meeting and it's relatively easy if you have skilled people in-house to turn that into a one-page story um, that you can share with your client that you might be able to use for your marketing, but that also gives you the information about the culture of that um, business or that person that you're selling to. Right. right. You've touched on some fantastic points here. If somebody um, uh, you know, is trying to do this in the most, most affordable way possible, you, uh, I love that you're tracking your stories uh, internally. Uh, it doesn't cost anything other than somebody's time. Um, yeah. So that you can uh, assemble those and, and create a common reference point for those. And then also, you know, I, there's so much power in the narrative. I've always, for my whole career, talking about the power of the narrative. But the other thing is, is that when you, when you gather these stories, if you really want to understand, um, we do this with journey mapping, if you want to understand a specific part of a journey, you know, that's a story that you can, you can then, when you understand the, the, the stories that are out there, it can guide you to be most efficient than if you do decide to spend some resources on understanding this part of a story or that part of a story yeah. more, more deeply or with uh, greater detail, uh, then you don't have to have the budget of just starting from the top. Uh, it allows you to go ahead and be very specific what, with what it is you do want to go research um, uh, and much more efficient as well then too. Absolutely, yeah. And I think um, you've touched on a really good point here, looking at what do we understand, what do we not understand. Um, I worked with a company um, a few years ago where they were basically, they were in investment banking. This was before from scratch, right? But um, they had the problem that um, their customer care team was mainly millennials, female rep, reps, you know, diverse ethnic backgrounds. And the people they were serving were mainly white men in their 50s who had a couple of millions of disposable income to put into investments. Right. And there was um, some customer dissatisfaction going on there. They weren't happy with the stats in that space. And the company was uh, really keen to improve that. But what they didn't see was this mismatch between having those reps and those very, very different customers. And they had never trained their reps to deal with that cultural difference. And uh, some cultural awareness training at the time made a big difference to their customer satisfaction. That's all that was, was needed. So in that case, actually, it made them money to invest into this rather than just cost it. That's a that is a great example. Um, uh, and so so actually sometimes you touch on yet another great point. I think in order to part of the resourcing to uh, to adapt for cultural differences, whatever that difference might be, it could even be generational. 
Um, mm. Training actually can be a great investment as well too. Uh, and when you get to customer service or different components related to customer experience, there's all sorts of training resources out there. It's, it's not something that everybody thinks about at first, I think, but I think that's a great idea for, um, if you're gonna put some resources aside to adapt for um, correctly resourcing for cultural differences, uh, work, I think some training uh, budget could actually be extremely valuable also. Yeah, I agree. And also starting with the pain point. I mean, if you're not actively expanding into a new market, then sometimes just, you know, looking at where things aren't working in your organization might be um, just the right point to have, you know, have a look whether some sort of cultural mismatch is going on and how that could be resolved. Okay. Yeah. So you've done work around the world. Um, any lessons learned or useful perspectives that you can share uh, when you're trying to adapt for cultural differences, specifically in different global regions? Yeah, well, that's a, <laughs> a very, um, very uh, good question because I just had to do this last year when I moved from the UK to the Netherlands. And this is a great example of countries that are geographically very close, but culturally very different. So my best advice would be to really make cultural expectations explicit and also ask other people questions, even if, if it feels a bit silly. So for example, you could ask when, if you've been invited to dinner at 7 p.m., you could ask, should I come to your house half an hour later? Because that's expected in some countries like Brazil, I think. Or would you like me to be on time? Um, here in the Netherlands, I think it's better to be on time in other countries, not so much. And people usually also love that kind of question. It's seen as really considerate, also interesting. And um, most awkward situations don't have a chance with that approach. And then the other bit that I would advise is always to be prepared to make jokes about your home culture and don't take yourself too seriously. Like don't joke about foreign cultures, but do, you know, feel at ease about your own culture and, and yeah, be prepared to make a couple of jokes. I, I think humor is, uh, humor applied correctly. And you made a very good point about your own culture, not someone else's. Um, uh, I think uh, humor used effectively can be really effective. And you know, you were just talking about country to country, but here in the United States, I would say that what you just described is equally applicable to the variances you find between California and New York and Texas. And, you know, we have these broad. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, uh, but uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, um, uh, if you're in London versus um, somewhere else in England, the expectations could be quite different too. So I, I think it's, it's great to always stop and, and consider um, uh, the, the, the cultural differences and the expectations, as you put it, that you should have for that. So Yeah, and also be aware that sometimes these differences come with uh, judgments that we almost can't help. I mean, I've read uh, my fair share about differences uh, within countries as well, and I've experienced it both in Germany and in the UK, and also even here in the tiny Netherlands. You know, people from different areas think of each other in certain, in certain ways. Um, I think within Scandinavia, also certain countries look down on each other, and I'm sure, you know, the same is true in, in the US, I've, at least from what I've heard, based on things that are just part of the local fabric and they're just completely normal. Like, 
are you going to like how how do you talk you know do you do you leave long silences do you speak much or do you speak very very little uh, do you tend to be exuberant and, and uh, bubbly or more kind of the quiet type? And that also differs um, according to regions and it can have a profound effect on how people see each other, which is just one more reason why I think we need to be culturally aware. So we don't think of individuals as odd or weird, but we actually bear in mind that different things are normal in different places of the world and everybody's a, a product of their environment. I, I think that's very true. I, I live in the United States in a place called Iowa. I'm in Iowa City. And I've previously lived in Washington, D.C. and Austin, Texas. And the differences are real. And, and actually, I, I kind of always worked to, when, I, when I sense a reaction to uh, Iowa City. I, I, I work on uh, building a bridge and ex kind of explaining. It, it's interesting. But oh, I think it's important to take it into account. Um, so... Yeah, and these are all relatives, right? They're not ever yeah. absolutes, um, but it's it's still good to be aware of certain trends just to uh, sh uh, sharpen your your view for certain things and not fall back onto bias. Right. So here at Social Impact CX, of course, we're talking about social impact, which uh, in the states comes into the form of either nonprofit work or which is or philanthropies. Or if you're a for-profit business, we have a structure called a B corporation or a benefit corporation or an L3C. These are all business structures that uh, you can declare social mission first and then act like a for-profit business afterwards. Yeah. You, do, you do declare social mission. So, and I know in the Netherlands, um, uh, the, the social impact sector and how that intersects with um, the, the business world and public private partnerships and all sorts of things. There's a lot of advanced things going on. So mm. when you take this idea of cultural differences into account um, in, in social impact work um, uh, in, in that environment, any, any thoughts you have about um, specifically in regards to cultural differences um, in NGO or nonprofit or um, uh, social impact oriented? Um, yeah. I mean, first of all, let me say B Corp. We've also got B Corps in the Netherlands. Yay! Yeah. Um, so uh, glad to see that's a global um, global movement. Uh, very, very nice to see that, especially in the business world. I think we don't have enough of that. But uh, yeah, to your question, I think there's a couple of things going on right now. What I'm thinking most about in terms of culture differences is the, the cultural differences between people who are already on the on the sustainability and social justice bandwagon and who are already conscious consumers and really pay attention to where they spend their money and really donate to charity and all those things. And then there's still a huge number of people who don't really uh, do that for various reasons. Some of them don't believe in it. Some things think um, it's not for them. But I think for a lot of them, it's just it's, it's one more example of a cultural difference. Right. So how do we create that culture change where being sustainable and socially aware is the norm um, and, and, and kind of moves out of this eco chamber that we're currently in? Yep. Um, that is a big question that I'm currently thinking about and um, working to apply the, the skills and the, the various techniques that I've learned over time uh, to that particular problem. Um, I think that is a fantastic point that if for anybody who's doing work in a social impact environment 
um, you know, understanding your, the, the core audience or the basic people that you have that are already engaged in whatever it issue, it, whatever issue it is that you're focusing on and whatever impact you're trying to achieve, um, how you accommodate or engage with that organization, how you make a connection there, uh, achieve an impact uh, through whatever it is you're doing is one thing. And then if your goal is to actually expand your efforts and reach an audience that you've not reached previously and engage a whole new group of people who are outside of um, who you're already uh, engaging with, that, that may actually call for a real difference in what it is that you're trying to do. I think that's an, a very important thought process to go through. Yeah, and I, I would just love to see more um, ethical brands and also NGOs. Um, I would love to see more of them stepping out of their their um yeah comfort zone maybe even you know where they know what works and what messages people expect from them and now how do we trans translate that into um messaging for people who are new to this or not even new yet who need to be educated because if we all become perfect conscious consumers and perfect philanthropists then I don't think we've, we've, we've got the, the power yet to really make 2030 the global goals and all of these things happen. I think we need a lot more people um, to push uh, forward on, on these matters. So the only chance we've got is to, to broaden the movement and get more people in. And uh, yeah, that's where I think knowing about different cultures and being sensitive and aware to those things is really helpful. Right. And then I think it comes right back to stories and narratives and empathy and hearing directly from um, uh, people in the different groups. I mean, you certainly want to understand and you probably have a decent understanding of the people who are already with you and whatever it yeah. is focus is, but it just, uh, it, I think it's so important to uh, gain a greater understanding and empathy for um, the people that are outside of your current um, uh, group and, and sphere of influence and followers or whatever that is, uh, the only way you're going to reach them is by um, understanding their stories and what connects with them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, there's detailed questions as well. Like if you, if you, if you uh, are about uh, plastic free living, then your message will have to be slightly different in, in different countries based on their recycling system and uh, various things like that, or how products are packaged or not packaged in that space. Or if you're an NGO, the question of how altruism gets expressed in the target culture is also important. I will want people want to give anonymously or openly. What kind of imagery attracts donors or repels them? What should the story focus on? Like, is it more important to talk about education or about period poverty, even if it's the same cause, really just looking at it from different angles? I think that's all important to bear in mind. But they're really deep, detailed questions compared to the big question of how we get that culture change going that we desperately need to, to achieve the sustainable development goals. Yeah, yeah, I think, I, I think that's spot on. So, so for Social Impact CX listeners wanting to focus on um, adapting for and planning for cultural differences in their work, where would you suggest they start? What are the two or three most important takeaways that you have you hope they, they have from our, our conversation today? 
Okay, great. So I think the easiest place to start is really with yourself, like become aware of your own cultural background. It's as easy as just taking a piece of paper and jotting down a few of the cultures that have shaped you. For me, for example, that would be late millennial culture, white female culture, German, Prussian, French, British, Dutch culture, university education, Christianity, post-punk music, a couple more just to give you an example. And then in terms of takeaways, I think my top three would be first, culture is more than ethnicity and geography. Um, and often we reduce it to those you know, easy labels. Um, the second would be, even if we're all individuals, cultural patterns are still real. Um, we shouldn't, you know, it's, it, I think sometimes they get a bad rep in terms of being stereotypes, but I think it's both true. We're individuals and products of our cultural environment. And the third is just be curious. Curiosity and research, they're always the best way to build a bridge between different cultures. That's great. That is a, that's a great list. Um, so uh, we're nearing our time here. Before we wrap up, is there, is there anything else that we should touch on when it comes to focusing on cultural differences, especially in impact-focused settings? No, I just want to repeat the thing that's really close to my heart right now. If we do want to achieve the global goals by 2030, we really all need to work together. And I think understanding our differences can help us express our shared humanity better. And that's really our best chance. Okay. All right. Well, that is great. Well, thank you, Sabine, for uh, sharing your truly global perspectives on uh, cultural differences and, and concepts closely related to uh, uh, customer experience work uh, um, in, in social impact environments where uh, cultural differences are absolutely essential to being successful in your work. I really appreciate oh, it. Thanks for having me. It was okay. really great to have a conversation with you. Okay. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Have a lovely day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. This has been Social Impact CX podcast episode 32, which has been the second part of my conversation with Sabine Harnow of From Scratch Communications from Amsterdam in the Netherlands. We're talking about the subject of cultural differences when doing customer experience work. You can find Sabine online at Twitter. Her handle is at scratch underscore posts and her website is from-scratch.net that's from-scratch.net do you have thoughts or something to ask about after listening to either episode 31 or 32 of social impact cx uh, my conversation with sabine as always you can ask a question or make a comment here at social impact cx a couple different ways First, you can send an email to comment at socialimpactcx.com. That's C-O-M-M-E-N-T at socialimpactcx.com. You can also find us on Twitter and post a question there. Our Twitter handle is at socialimpactcx. And please follow us on Twitter to stay up to date with new podcasts and other related content. You can also find me on Twitter. Uh, My handle is at John F. Corrigan. Uh, we've expanded where you can find Social Impact CX, so you may be listening from someplace like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Play or SoundCloud. If you're listening to this place someplace, uh, such as SoundCloud or YouTube, where there's a place to comment, please feel free to post a question in the comment section there as well, and we'll do our best to keep up with you and respond. This is John Corrigan reminding you that, especially in social impact work, it's important to understand that your mission 
is really all about someone else's journey. And the more you know about someone's journey, the more you can help. Thanks for listening to Social Impact CX.